But one day, the radio station opened, and I never forget that day. It was in the summertime, and, and everybody, the buzz in town was, hey, the radio station is going to go on the air. Pretty soon, sure enough, there it turned on. They had no, they, you know, uh, it was just a test was what it was. And uh, George, George Charles, he, he, he was doing the DJ. He was talking on the radio a little bit. He said, well, we're trying out the new radio station. He played the most boring music I could ever, he, I would I, ever hear. And it was jazz. And who likes jazz? Yupiks don't like jazz. They, they hate that music. They'd rather hear either country music or religious tunes. And he didn't play those. He played jazz. It was just boring, but it was just fun. Everybody was listening to the radio that for two hours. <clears throat> then after that, it got, stayed on more longer and longer. And finally, they decided, well, we want some Yupik news. We, we want some news read. English news and radio news. And so th they decide, well, they're going to have maybe 15 minutes of English news and 15 minutes of Yupik news, but we need somebody to Yupik news. Well, the chief, Chief Eddie Hoffman came over to my grandmother's house and he said, hey, John, you, you, you speak Yupik? I said, yeah. He said, well, and you know how to tell stories? I said, yeah, for my grandma. He said, why don't you go and work at KYK? Go, go do the Yupik news. Read the news. You read English. You're bilingual. You understand English. You can translate. That's said, well, I'll go try. I think about John a lot as like quintessential KYUK. One time he, okay, this is a quintessential KYUK moment. Uh, John Active brought a beaver into the station and skinned it and butchered it in the TV studio and he did this just on his own, and we were like, well, if you're going to be in there doing this, we might as well film you. So we had the interns film him while he told stories, and he's just, like, cutting up this beaver. And there were moments where, like, a little bug or lice would, like, run out of the beaver <laughs> fur. That was pretty intense. Welcome back to In Your Ears for 50 Years. I'm Gabby Salgado. Thank you for joining us for the past 11 weeks. We have two episodes left of this series where we are taking a deep dive into the history and people of KYUK. Before I jump into today's episode, I just want to remind everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to this show and every other KYUK show. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and NPR One. This week, Shane Iverson sat down with Jeff Kennedy and Chris Ho to talk about the legacy of the late John Active. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining me today. I'll be the host, the, uh, the special podcast on all things KYUK as we celebrate what is miraculously our 50-year anniversary. 
50 years of providing service to the YK Delta. And now with the advent of the internet, really providing service to the entire world, anyone interested in the YK Delta. And for uh, anyone who's been with KYUK more than a few years, you know, uh, the, the brightest shining star probably of our entire history, I would certainly argue anyway, uh, was the late and great John Active. And that is why we have gathered here today. On the line with me is uh, a friend of his and former colleague, Jeff Kennedy. Jeff, how are you doing this afternoon? Okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, Jeff, you are with, uh, with the uh, newsroom for, for quite some time back in, what, what years were, was that, Jeff? Uh, 1990 to 1994, and uh, Rhonda McBride was the news director during wow. that time. Chris Ho also on the line, another friend and colleague of John Active. Uh, Chris, we actually worked together in the uh, in the 2000s, shall we call it? Uh, probably, yeah, that's right. Yeah, into the maybe into the two teens. Um, but yeah, we the turn of the century. Office. We did. Um, worked as a videographer with John and got uh, an opportunity to work with him side by side on some some unique projects over the years. And you guys became uh, we're good friends over that time, too. Yeah, thanks for being with us, Chris. You're over in Anchorage now and uh, still connected with KYUK through various folks such as myself and uh, shared interest in many projects. Thanks for having me, Shane. Yeah. So uh, let's see. And then, then I, I myself, I got to work with John. We shared a, uh, when I worked in the newsroom, when uh, when John would be working, we'd be like side by side. I'd be right. His desk was literally right behind me. We we're in a cramped little office, uh, which remarkably four of us squeezed into, which just sounds like a horrible idea now in the middle of the COVID age. But uh, that's just how we rolled back then. Uh, so we had a, like a lot of chemistry, uh, uh, lots of chances to interact, uh, both, both good and bad. Uh, Jeff, so, okay, you came in 1990, and like so many of us, sounds like uh, started with a splash, kind of thrown into the water. Here's Akiak. Uh, there's a war going on now that that KYUK is going to uh, cover our, you know, if not on the ground, but certainly cover in terms of disseminating information, important information about that to the YK Delta, because at the time um, there wouldn't have been another place to really get that free information from. So if you could uh, indulge us, what, what, what was it like your first meeting into uh, KYUK and then and then how did you come across uh, John Active? Well, I met John as I, as I met everyone else all at once mm -hmm. and uh, got, got to work together. John and I um, indulged ourselves in a number of tasks which were not necessarily news. Um, John had a... Uh, an interest in a number of things and um, we got to work together and um, 
John liked to do some uh, fake stories, I guess you'd say, fake news these days. And he decided he wanted to do a um, fake story about a, a dog, a, a synchronized downhill figure skater who had, who had gone into the Winter Olympics in 1994. And he decided he wanted to do something about it in order to make a UPIC um, connection with the Olympics at the time. So we concocted this bizarre story of a kid that um, was raised somewhere in the YK Delta, and he was afflicted with the terrible scourge of um, deja vu. His name was Wassily Wassily. His father's name was was uh, Gene Wassily, and his mother's name was Gene Wassily. And they tried to cure him of this terrible affliction by taking him to Walla Walla, Washington, and New York, New York, to try to cure him of it. There was no known cure. And poor Wassily honed his craft by trying to swap mosquitoes with the uh, with the blades of his ice skates, which was a very tough job to do during the winter because there weren't that many mosquitoes to kill. And it went on and on like that from there. Yeah. And we have a lot of fun with that. And uh, John and I can collaborated on this bizarre story. We, we sent it to Alaska News Nightly and Peter Kenyon was the host at the time. And Peter Kenyon didn't say he liked the story, but he gave it two uh, billboards. So he mentioned twice in his newscast that coming up was going to be a spoof of the Olympics. And we had a lot of fun with that. And I hope the listeners in um, Alaska enjoyed it, too, when we did this statewide thing. So John and I concocted a lot of um, fun things in addition to the work that we did. Yeah, we've got a lot of humor out of that. But like, Chris, I mean, I think you got a chance to see some of his his influence on people, Not maybe not. KYUK, but I remember you you guys went on a, a boating trip um, outside of KYUK. This is probably after you worked, um, where uh, John was interested in helping uh, a political candidate for office. And um, yeah, I think you guys went to the Tundra Village, one of the Tundra Villages, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we John. did. Yeah. Um... You know, that was for a movie. Should... You were making a movie about him, not for KYUK, but you well, just, I was you following know. John, yeah, and he yeah. was doing that. He was supporting a political candidate, which I don't know how much you want me to talk about that, but you know, anyone that John supports automatically had like uh, a tailwind of uh, supporters because John was just so influential. So, um, but yeah, I do remember. <laughs> You know, we got stuck on the way, either there or back. John took it with stride. He was just like, yep. Uh, but, you know, anytime you go to a village with John, he would. It was as if uh, Brad Pitt had just showed up or somebody. I mean, like everyone knew who he was. Um, you know, people were throwing babies in his face and giving him uh, <laughs> salmon strips and things to take home. And um, so it was just a delight to hang out with him because you're just kind of like hanging out with a, 
a rock star, you know, and the, yeah, the more you got out yeah. of Bethel, the more you would see that because, you know, back then, I think less people were watching, just everyone was listening to KYUK. Everyone yeah. would hear yeah. his voice every day because he was doing the, the news every day for years. And uh, he was a star, you know, he really was. Um, and he carried that with him. Like he was very much into people um, just sharing the joy of uh, living the life, you know? And yeah, so it was always a good time hanging out with John. Yeah, he had a his his love of amusement and jokiness. I mean, so it was so youthful. I mean, it really reminded me of just being to me anyway, being being younger and have, taking the time to just laugh and joke around, you know, and like not not being so serious. I felt like I was, you know, in at least in our work, I was always like the serious one, even though I consider myself humorous but i mean just compared to him uh he just never let go of that youthful sense of like his mind was just yeah, his mind was just working on it on the joke i think from the moment he woke up and he would wake up really early and you know he was never hesitant to call or leave a <laughs> Uh, a three-minute message about whatever he was working on it's almost like a stand-up comic you know I, yeah in my mind is because as the, over the years i've hung out with him i would just see how it would happen where like we would be somewhere in the morning go to ac or something and, and see something happen and then john we get back to the station and john would tell whoever was there what just happened and you know you kind of see the reaction it got but then he would tell that same story probably like 10, 15 times throughout the day. So by the evening, the story was embellished a bit, but it was absolutely better. <laughs> and I mean, he was just like, you know, whatever would get a reaction, he would just double down on that part of the story. And so the truth was a little bit, you know, not quite the point. It was just what's the best story and he just had such a knack for doing that it was just so natural it was really interesting to see him i mean every day just every day he would do that yeah i don't know how many days i came to work uh you know pretty bright and early because i was a reporter at that time and there's already a a phone message waiting waiting from john and Sometimes it would be a big joke leading to, I'm not coming into work today. And you'd be like, All right, well, thanks for the joke. I guess it was, it was worth it. But, but like you're saying, Chris, sometimes you'd see him later and he'd be expanding on the, the humor. But it is, it was so interesting. I mean, he always, even when he wasn't performing in front of an audience, he'd just perform for his friends, even if it was just one person. You know, just making you laugh or making Jeff laugh or like never ended. Well, first of all, I want to talk about John and his campaign for youpifying. That was the word that he used. He was staying at a friend's house one time and some Mormon missionaries came through and they wanted to talk to John about the Mormon faith. John invited them in, sat down with them and began telling him about the Yupik culture. 
and the, the two missionaries there dressed in, you know, suits and ties and everything else couldn't get a word in edgewise. And finally they backed off and walked out the door and thanked John very much. And John had succeeded in upifying them. And we know that assimilation is a major problem uh, in this country, particularly among native peoples who are being forced to uh, adapt to and adopt the Gussic culture. And John had his own spin on that, which was that you that he wanted the he wanted to assimilate the Gussics into the Yupik culture. And he had a he had a a, uh, a real opportunity to do that by accident. And I had something to do with it. My biggest claim to fame may be what I did to getting John on national public radio. Mm. John did this piece for his just a Bethel audience. He sang, if I were a rich man from the Fiddler on the Roof. First, let's have a little music, please, to get us in the mood. Let's see, what would be good? How about Fiddler on the Roof? Tukung saukuma hui, ksan koch pao yachto hui, agnach pak jayuni hui, ksan koch pao ngama hui, ik fautlag yachto hui, tukung saukuma hui. Translation, if I were a rich man, I'd have someone pick berries for me. And he did a whole shtick on berry picking. And I thought it was so bizarre that I was wondering how people in other states who had never, he didn't even know what a Yupik was, or are, Yupiks are, how they would react to that. Would they, would they be able to uh, connect their experience with John's, which was so different? And so I sent this to a guy, uh, a producer at NPR named um, Art Silverman from New Jersey. And because he was interested in stuff from Alaska. So I told him that and he answered the phone saying, yeah, yeah, what is it? Oh, okay, send it down. I'm busy. Bye. I said, well, so much for enthusiasm for Alaska stuff. But anyway, I sent it. Three hours go by and I got a phone call from Art Silverman. He absolutely loved the piece and wanted to put it on NPR. It was so bizarre and he enjoyed it so much. And he said it was so much of a window on a culture that he had no contact with. And it really opened his mind. So they put that on NPR and a couple of oh, days, a couple of maybe a week or so went by. And we were listening on KYUK to all things considered on NPR. and. At the time, they had a, a, a segment called Listener Comments, where they report listener comments about various things in, in, uh, that had aired on NPR the previous week or so. Mm-hmm. And whoever was doing the narration said, this is going to be a different listener comments because the vast majority of our listener comments came in response to a, a commentary from Bethel, Alaska, by somebody named John Active. And uh, John got a bunch of fan mail from all over the country. And he was sort of embarrassed by that because this is not part of being a Yupik is to be, you know, make a big 
deal about yourself and uh, to sort of blend in and not to can stand out, but not stand out from the rest of the community. But John decided he liked it and and decided it was a good thing. So we collaborated on a, a number of other projects. And this was John's way of youpifying the whole country. He, do, he did six commentaries. And we, uh, a friend of mine, and you could probably access them, KYUK, John's NPR commentaries. There are six of them. And uh, John and I collaborated on several of them. But it it, 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 it is something to consider as we go through this whole ordeal in the country about assimilation and the destruction of cultures. And John never discussed assimilation. He just reversed assimilation and said, okay, we're going to turn the rest of the country into Yupik people. And he did so with both passion and humor. And it was that combination of things. Sometimes you couldn't tell what you couldn't tell the extent to which John was sincere and the extent to which he was joking because he managed to fuse both of them and make them indistinguishable from each other. That was part of his gift, I think. It's August. Our summer's labor of love is drawing to a close. All season, we Yupik have had no rest fishing the Kuskokwim River for our winter supply of fish. Every year, my people migrate from their villages to their traditional fish camps on the banks of the big river with slow-moving current. As always, we pitch our tents along these banks, next to our fish-drying racks, which are now decorated with curing red, king, chum, and now silver salmon. As the fish dry, they are transferred into the Buyukchiwiks, or smokehouses. Hundreds of them now cure there. Alder and cottonwood smoke gently wafts within the whole smokehouse. The whole fish is prepared, save the gills and guts. The women, deftly plying their uloks or knives, slice out the cartilage within the head with much dexterity and traditional skill. The cartilage is then salted in wooden kegs for consumption in winter, a delicacy eaten by my people during tea time. Other fish heads hang high. These were sliced open like a book, and their eyes were pushed out from the inside. These eyes, thousands of them, stare at you unblinking in the bright sun's glare. The body of the fish has also been sliced open, and at the very end of the tail, the women cut their family crests into the flesh. These symbols have been handed down from generation to generation. Each family has their own. My family's crest, for instance, is the symbol X. Today, we bury just the fish heads, along with fish livers and spleens. The heads are left to ferment for about four weeks, and then we dig them out and eat them. A truly titillating treat for the taste buds, glorious in texture and flavor. They are pungent as Limburger cheese, but not as soft. About five minutes later after eating, a soothing warmth permeates the body. It soothes the soul and calms the spirit. The smell of the tepa clings to the hands like a second skin. 
To get rid of it, we rub the leaves of stinkweed onto the hands, and that nullifies the smell. Yes, we who live off the land are truly blessed. Jeff, was was he a big uh, cooker in those days? Did he bring food in regularly to the station or cook food at the station or turn the break room into a gigantic kitchen without notice? not so much he, he liked he liked to make fun of my uh putting things into the microwave more than that but uh, one time he ran short of food and he said uh, he said uh, uh can i have one of your hot dogs jeff i'm hungry I said, yeah, but I don't have any condiments to go with them. He said, of course you wouldn't. You're a Catholic and you're against condiments. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that was part of what made him on air. Just a great live host. There's a lot of us who can host, but you definitely want your live hosts to have that kind of quick on their feet thinking and humor to, to ask the tough questions. If you can throw in a dose of humor into the question or uh, empathy, you can often get much better responses. He was a master at that. Oh yeah. And so, so many of us, so much of it was spontaneous. People like me, you know, we'd have to think about it for a couple of days before we can do stuff like that. But John was that quick. I'm pretty good at it myself, but John was so much better at it than I was. Chris, is that how you guys, you know, became friends? You guys uh, obviously worked together, but you spent a lot of time with him and you were you know, probably the most important person, certainly one of them during his, his last few days, uh, helping take care for him, take care of him, handle communications for him. I mean, what was it that really drew you guys together? You know, I have no idea. I mean, when John and I met, you know, it was just kind of immediate. We were always friends. Um, I think it, it is, you know, I could see the star quality in him. And like you guys have been saying, he was just one of the most unique people you've ever met. And I just knew it, you know, and I, I was like, man, the world needs to know this. Like, he's just the guy. And I think I just believed in him Mm -hmm. and uh, it made it easy for us because, yeah, you know, you're going around town or whatever. And uh, like I say, it's just, it was like hanging out with a rock star. You know, I really felt it. And uh, John kind of like let you live in that space where um, it's all important, you know, like, like every day there's something important just about being and just about um getting lunch you know or uh whatever we have to do that afternoon i mean you could feel the energy at the station like when john was there like everyone was on you better be on otherwise you were gonna get you know your butt handed to you um just with quips or whatever like you better be present you know I know. I remember, I remember him distinctly one time saying I had forgot something or forgot what we were going to do. And, and he was like real serious. He was like, pay attention. You know, you got to pay attention. I mean, I think that's really what John was doing in every moment. 
he was very present. Um, a lot of us are in our own little worlds and just kind of thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow and lamenting this and that. You know, John, even on in the tough times where he was low on money or whatever, it was just, he was really living for today, every day. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for a lot of people to understand. But I mean, if you knew John, you know what I'm talking about. But like, yeah. if he had anything, food, resources, money, he would share it with who with whoever was there and try to make the best time of right now, right now. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, just a thrill to be around someone like that. Cause I think so many people aren't like that anymore. We're all stuck in our heads. I think we're worrying about other times. We're just, uh, not living in the present and he very much was in the present. Yeah, I can feel that. I mean, talking about some of the tougher times he was on and when, you know, we've all mentioned uh, being a little short on food sometimes. But then when the money came in, when he would, when he was full, he would come into KYUK with two armfuls of groceries, take over the break room, start cooking for everyone. He would be creating a feast as if, I mean, for me to do that, I would have to be thinking, Oh yeah, I got plenty for the next day and the next day and the next day and the day after that and the day after that, all the way into next year. But he was like, we got enough food right now. Let's all enjoy it together. You know, he'd have the whole place smelling like a restaurant and he's serve us all up without a care in the world. John was always one, like the whole idea of subsistence living is, it's like such an important part of living here. And it's a really big reason why I came back to live here because I love the food. Um, But John was someone who would bring that into the station. So he always had like subsistence caught or fished food here. Um, And then he would leave these little notes on the food. Uh, So for example, this one. He'd type up a note above the food and tape it there in the break room. This one said, fresh ground moose meatloaf. Bethel Warrior, Javen Williams, very first catch. Nuckling, he said he was very scared when he shot it. I told him it was his first and not his last. And so that was like hanging above the meatloaf when you went to grab your plate. Um, Another one was macaroni salad in the fridge it has lots of onions celery salt pepper and finely diced mild sausage and the green stuff on top is marijuana it was not marijuana it was probably like parsley or something but that was his (laughs) sense of humor uh this one said best sourdough pancakes i made so far 190 proof kind ever clear one bite pass out or call 911 (laughs) Uh, oh this was hanging on the freezer one day don't get scared. There's a goose in here. John's going to pluck it later. Julia, what kind is it? <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of like when I started, this was the kind of stuff that was happening around KYK. And, you know, it's infectious. It's like, you gotta, you gotta take a little piece of that away and learn from that. Like, how does, how does he be so happy today? Um, even if he, if yesterday it didn't seem like he had enough. And I think you're right, Chris, it's about that, that presence about being 
right here in the moment, enjoying right now, laughing about right now, enjoying the taste, the sights, the smells. Such a talented individual such as himself, uh, you know, as he was in his final years, his, his work was obviously slowing down as health issues kind of started to stack up here and there. Um, but we kept, uh, trying to like find work, work duties that suited him well. And, um, so we got out of, he got out of interpretation, but we started, a a brand new show actually came out of that, um, which was called get which is to translated to like push out or to make clear uh, it's, it's translated several different ways, but uh, you know, it was basically a topical show in Yupik about whatever topic of the day we wanted to discuss because he had so much fun doing that and it wasn't a stress on him. One of the things that I found a little bit exasperating with John is um, the work that he did, he never thought of holding on to it. Uh, even I think the Yupik masks, uh, you know, the, these are treasures to be handed down to generations. But John never looked at his work as something to uh, outlive him. You know, if he finished doing the work, it, that was the end of it. He would move on to something else. And John completed uh, six commentaries for National Public Radio. And then he said, well, been there, done that. And he went on to something else. It was never a sense that he um, would hang on to something that had been very successful for him. He would just move on. He didn't see things as successes the way we Gussocks might do um he had a, a totally different attitude is uh like an attitude of okay this yupik if i have created this yupik mask um i'm finished with it now and i'll just toss it away it, it no longer serves me for the present and it gets back to what you were talking about earlier about living in the present he does he didn't hang on to his work or think ever of um, keeping it for future generations. It was something that I'm finished with it. Let's go on to something else. I think it's an important aspect of John's personality. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of us are digging through his trash and dusting stuff off to, to keep for later so we can get a good chuckle out of it or show, show, show someone else. Hey, look at what John made today. He'd, he'd write like comics and stuff. He'd make a little, you know, speaking of jokes, he'd always have. Some yeah, you're, little... you're talking not now you're talking like literally like on a daily basis, like he through the trash, like he would write a note card or something. Uh, yeah. 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 Some little funny thing. Show it to you, show it to a few people. Be like, dude, that's hilarious. And then you see it in the trash later. So clean it off. Yeah, I meant literally. Um, but figuratively as well, you know, there's like like uh, Jeff's talking about, just things he would create that we knew would be have value for us. For me, I would like that later. Um just didn't concern him. He, he knew that he, he knew there'd be something funny later. He had no doubt. It's kind of almost, you know, you're, you're, 
Jeff, you're, you're tying parallels like Yupik culture. And I also kind of think of it like the Nugusbat culture, which is, of course, like the great provider, great, great hunter. And, you know, the Nugusbat is so confident in their abilities to uh, find fish and game for the next day that they're happy to uh, gift away and give away all that they have today in that confidence that there will be ample for tomorrow. I, I look back on that NPR work that he did and the way it touched so many people with in, in who was an entirely different culture, an entirely different set of experiences, but he reached through them. He reached to, he reached them and he communicated with them without, uh, with the, uh, the, the, the almost impossibility of, of um, sharing experiences with people who don't have the same experiences and don't even have a clue about what your experiences are, but he reached through them. And I think, I think that that's, was John's gift to the United States of America and to the rest of Alaska uh, that he did um, a, a good job, almost an impossible job of yupifying so many people in so many ways. And I, I don't think I can overemphasize that. The reason why KYK has been around for 50 years is because it's had great people working for it. And it's had this, it's built a legacy and through Nothing I feel like I've really contributed to, but through decades of people coming and working here. And as we've been talking about the 50th anniversary, I've been thinking every time about John Active. And he was able to, I mean, when John, when John died, we did these remembrances about him and how he was this pioneer storyteller and how he was able to be this incredible culture bearer and linguistically his brain being able to move so fast between both Yuktun and English and be able to be able to sh- bridge those cultures and share them with each other. And I, I mean, it's people like him that we've been able to be around for so long and how do we continue that tradition now that he's gone but he's left so much for us to build upon and to learn from this episode of in your ears for 50 years was hosted by shane iverson stay tuned for the youtube episode hosted by julia jimmy producers for the show are Kristen hall and gabby solgado Music for the show was performed by Bethy Whalen, Lisa Whalen, and Andy Angsman of the band Blue Whalen. Join us next week for the final episode of In Your Ears for 50 Years, when Shane Iverson sits down with KYUK board member Andre Jacobs to talk about the future of this station. 